Welcome to Spread Talk with Pam and John, also known as The Calm Before the Storm. Our purpose is to elevate the conversation and amplify special education resources. And our why is about making the impossible possible. It's just kind of just a relaxed conversation about special education. Uh, Connie. Love her. You brought your story to us. She said, you, you all need to talk with this parent. I love her so much. <laughs> okay. She's she been with us amazing. since my oldest one of him, pre-K. Yeah, yeah, she really is. Yeah. And so she was like, I really want to be part of your team, but I got something else I need to learn. <laughs> but you still need to have this parent. You know, you need you guys need to talk with her and just hear her stories and and just share with your listeners. And so that's how we got your name and our expectations are not, you know, it's whatever you want to share. We're pretty laid back. We're just going to basically have a conversation. We have no, we have no set scripts. It's whatever you feel comfortable sharing with us. Well, I mean, I don't mind sharing my whole story, but I just, I don't feel like I do anything extraordinary. I just do what I need to do for my kids. I tried for nine years to have kids and within 17 and a half months, I had two. And so (laughs) it was a little bit um, shocking, but. I didn't really have anything to base what you would call normal on. There's not really a normal, I guess, but I didn't know what to expect. I thought they were just these little things that they did were just boys being boys. And I mean, I had nephews, but they didn't live with us or close to us. Didn't really have anything to base that on until Jaden started school. Jordan is my oldest. Jaden is my youngest. When Jordan started school, um, he had a really good pre-K teacher that would tell me what he did for the day, which was always something. There was never a day that he didn't do anything. But then she would always compare him to a great man in history, Einstein or, you know, whoever. So I just thought, oh, great. I mean, he's <laughs> he's wonderful. So, But he always did something. There was always a behavior, always. And so he was four. And then Jaden started when he was about three and a half, maybe. Um, he, well, he turned three in July and he started in August. So a couple of months. Um, but when he went to school, he, would, he was a runner. And at home, I just always, I'm extra cautious with everything. I worry about everything. Try to take care of everybody around me type of person. And so nothing I did, I thought was something that was, I didn't think he was doing anything because I had already set him up for success, I guess, not realizing what I was doing. How hard you were actually probably working uh, at keeping everything in play, both of them at the same time. Yeah. You said you you felt like you weren't doing anything. You were being like superhuman here doing all these things. But to you, you just thought, well, this is normal. Yes. And so I just thought I had never had kids before and I had both of the boys and I just thought that's what parents do. So my oldest one, when he was in his crib, would flap his arms and we just thought it was the cutest thing because he was just so excited. We had no idea that it was a sign of autism, but he wasn't fine. 
of course, I had notes from the school, notes from the SPED team, just all from the doctor, from West Texas Rehab. I was ready. I was like, I want to know what's wrong. I guess I should back up a little. When Jaden, when they told me they thought Jaden was autistic, they took him into separate rooms. Jaden would crawl all up you if you sat on the couch and he could not associate you as a separate identity than the couch. So he, once you sat on the couch, you just became part of the couch and he was climbing all over you. As far as Joran, um, you know, Joran talked early, walked early, got him off his bottle early and did everything early. So we thought, you know, great. But where Jaden started babbling, mama or dad, dad, mama, he stopped. And when I asked the doctor, they just assumed Joran was talking for him. So I'm like, okay, you know, Joran's talking for him. Probably what's going on, but it wasn't. Um, when we got the referral to West Texas Rehab, they took him into separate rooms and of course, Jaden was everywhere and Joran drew a picture and he just had himself at the bottom with a little car and he had like speech bubbles all around him. And they said, oh, what's that? You know, is he talking to somebody? And he said, no, that's me. And that's my brain. And so they just said that his brain was going so fast he couldn't associate one thought from another. How old was he at this time where he, he said that's he my was. He was five and Jaden was three and a half. And so they automatically gave me a referral to Dr. Tomasovic out of San Antonio, which is a pediatric neurologist. In my naive brain, I had no idea what autism was. And I thought the school was telling me that my child was just going to be a student that like sat in the corner with drool coming out of his mouth, like. I had no idea. I thought they just thought he was mentally retarded. You know, I didn't know what to expect. So I went home and I cried all day long, like a morning type. And then I just got up the next day and I'm like, okay, this is what he has. So let's do something about it. Of course, I got on the internet, started looking. I found a letter from a mother to a school about her son for the upcoming school year and what to expect. And I was like, well, that's not Jaden, that's Joran. I'm like, okay, the more I read, the more it looked like Joran and not Jaden. I'm like, okay, so then I got the referral for both of them to West Texas Rehab. But when we walked into Dr. Tomasovic's office, of course I was crying. I was very emotional back then. Connie will tell you, I cried at every single ARD meeting probably till my kids were at least through middle school. It was just, I'm real emotional about my kids. I wanted kids for so long and I just love them so much. And, but I walked in and I told Dr. Tomasovic that the school thought that Jaden was autistic. And he said, he is, they both are, and it's okay. And I'm like, boohoo balling at that point I'm like what do you what do you mean they are <laughs> like I wasn't really <laughs> expecting him to say yes they are but within five minutes I mean he was he said I've been diagnosing this longer than you've been alive and um, they're both autistic but that's okay they're still the same kids you came in with they just now have a label 
And I took that to heart and I'm like, they're still my kids and I'm just going to treat them like my kids. And I never treated them any different than any other, any other kid. Um, I think that's what Connie likes the best about me is because I don't care if you're autistic or not, you're going to have your good manners, you're going to behave yourself, and you're going to do the best work that you can. There were some rough times, really rough times, but I mean, it was rough. It, it was really rough with Jaden being a runner. You know, we took all the precautions. One day, if, if you did not say bye to him and give him a kiss bye, I don't care if you were just running two blocks down to the store and back. If you didn't tell him bye and give him a kiss, he was running after the car, chasing you down the road. Even though his dad was in the house, <laughs> he was chasing you. And so we had to get a deadbolt where we mounted it at the top of our door where it would have to go up and over and that way um he couldn't reach it you know things like that we just did to set them up for success i don't know i just didn't ever treat them different when joran graduated high school in middle school we kind of lost some ground we hit a block about seventh grade with him and some in elementary, some of the people would just kind of let him do what he wanted to do so they wouldn't have to deal with behaviors. And then there were some that would push him and push him and push him. We got to middle school and we had a lady that would antagonize them because it was funny for them to throw a fit. I've got a question for you. Could I jump in and ask a question? Uh -huh. Go ahead. So you hit on something that I believe is something so important, and it's really an area that Pam in Texas is just an expert on, it's transition. I reflect a lot on my childhood and the struggles I had as a kid and, uh -huh. and get my kids and see the different supports they have and how they're varying differently and such, and, and then working in special ed for years. But this, this idea of transition, right, and this feeder pattern, even if you think about it, so often we have kids that in one setting over time, the adults and the kids learn each other, you know, for the most part, good people wanting to see good things happen, some more capable, some, but then you, but then you, you find that balance and then the kids understand it, they know what to expect and, and then you start a whole new school and it's like, oh dear God, do you yeah. talk to each other? You know what I mean? And so, yeah. it's, unfortunately, I think it's the... Those, those minuscule barriers of just one campus and the next sometimes, uh -huh. it, it's that flow of information and empathy. Yes. These kids are good kids. They'll work for you, but you got to know this and don't do that. Yes, yeah. yes, because you do learn the trick. The bad thing about our situation with that was that the lady that was antagonizing them was actually their bus driver and had been through elementary. So she knew them on that level in the bus, but in the classroom all day long with them, she just, you know, ate at them um, where, you know, but we moved on and we moved into high school and we had a phenomenal teacher that pushed them, but she pushed them in a way that they knew that she loved them and she got them into Special Olympics. She started up a whole branch, Cami uh, Dodds is her name. She was phenomenal. And when my oldest left, I have chill bumps right now because when he left, high school he left on a 12th grade reading level he wow. had made up that ground you know he can't do anything social I mean he will just start talking and he will not stop but as far as reading when he was here if he wanted to play a game read it if you want to read a book read it I'm not going to read it for you you know because I 
read to them from you know the time they were born and I mean they knew what was they knew the print concepts they knew all of that stuff but they, there was just a block they could not read could, I mean they were better at math but once we got into high school Joran really started reading and getting into that and so he was actually left high school on a reading level. It sounds like you um, and both had very high expectations. You yes. see them yes. thrive and do well. And so, so often I think that is that magic. Uh, it's just, I believe it. And by yeah. the way, I'm gonna do everything I can to make sure it's true. And the opposite works if I believe it. Well, you know what? Somehow I go about seeing yeah. that you don't, you know? And so- Well, I and, and I mean, even if we're out and about, like at a football game, love, they love to go to football games, but for Jordan, it's really loud. For Jaden, as soon as it gets dusk, for him, it's time to go home. You know, we have to go, we have to go get in the car. It's time to go. But even at a football game, they won't try to run around. They will sit with me. They will say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Their manners are still intact because they better be. Because <laughs> that's just how I expected them to behave. So I, I don't know. I just don't feel like I did anything spectacular except for, you know, just making them accountable for their actions. I can't speak socially. Well, you also had the expectation yeah. not for them, which is, which is so important. You know, you wanted the best for them. And of course. I'm, I'm almost certain you advocated for, for, for them. Oh, yeah. Well. Yeah. But, we had a couple of adult instances uh, where there was someone that got pulled into an ARD meeting that didn't work with them. And we just needed that teacher, you know, that we just needed that sped teacher. And he said, he made the mistake of saying, well, they just need to be given to me for six weeks and I'll straighten them out. And I, I looked at our principal and she looked at me and she said, she said, uh, my office now, I mean, cause she knew how tough I was on my kids and she knew that wasn't the problem. And she, she came back and apologized and apologized and but, you know, there's just people out there that they're not ever going to love your kids like you love your kids. And you know what triggers them. You know what sets them off every single time. And so you, I don't know, you just avoid it, I guess. But sometimes you put them in that situation just to see what's going to happen. Just to see how they react, see how they act during the situation. I don't know. Yeah, you can't protect them, right? I mean, you've got to right. prepare them. And, and right. like, I think, you know, I think often like how, I think all parents, like you said earlier that, or just a minute ago that, you know, no one's going to love them like, or, you know, like you do. And I think right. every parent can relate to that. You know, I think about schools all the time. I used to, when I was a teacher and then as a uh, counselor and director, I always think, you know, parents send us the very best kids they have. This is their like, the, this is their gift to the world. This is what yeah. they have left a legacy, you know, regardless yeah. of ability or shape. How, what are you good at? What do you get? It's just as adults, where is our focus? Do we look for right. weakness or do we look for strength? It's just a different right. way. And I think more and more examples like you're sharing is just a way that, you know, it's not about what a kid can't do. It's about what they can do. And listen right. To well, and I, um, I, at this point, uh, when Joran was in second grade, I started working for the school system. So I was an aide for 
probably 10 years. And during this time, once they transitioned into late middle school, early high school, I went back to college or I went to college. I'd never been to college, but I decided, you know, I wanted to be a teacher since I was in the second grade. So now's probably a good time because they're about to get on up there. And so I actually went back to school and this is actually my fourth school year as a first grade teacher. So that was part of Con what Connie said. You better tell that part of your story. <laughs> yeah, I was going to get there. <laughs> yeah, I um, because I was working full time at the school as an intervention aide and working part partly with a an autistic one on one student. And then um, I was also taking six to nine hours of college classes and, you know, dealing with my boys and getting things, make sure they're okay. And then as I actually had to go to ASU, then they were up in age where they could get off the bus and get in and I would just have snacks ready and, you know, have their afternoon medication with their name on, put it in a bag, put their name on it. Like it was all laid out. And that's all they had to do is open the refrigerator to get it out. And so they would wait for me probably for 45 minutes and then you know, that's how I graduated. I mean, if it wasn't for them able to do that, I would not have been able to finish. And so, and I ended up graduating in December, taking over a class in January. And so here I am. In sharing this story, something you just said about, about your sons as far as your, that they were capable of taking care of themselves for 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, although you prepared everything for them, they had enough skills yes. to begin, you know, the good independent skills yes. that they they were able to take care of themselves during that time period, which allowed you to pursue your dream and make your dream a reality. Yeah. That's important. I mean, just to have those life skills and those independent skills mm -hmm. and, you know, and being you able. Know, they, I mean, there's still days that are tough. I right. mean, there there are days. But for the most part, I mean, my husband and I both work. The boys do not. And so there's some periods where we overlap with our schedules. And so if I'm doing after school ACE program and my husband goes in at four o'clock, so there might be a couple of hours where the boys are here by themselves, but they're able to do that and be okay. I mean, sometimes they'll call me, you know, like, mom, he's doing this or he's doing that. And like, I'm at school. Can we wait till fight till I get home? Like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> so. You know, they, you, you created that. Though. You know, you are, they are a direct result of your parenting, your husband's parenting. And it's kind of, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Bogoski, the, the uh, scaffolding of learning. You know, you said earlier, I, I would put them in that situation to see how they would do. Like as a parent, right? We I think all the time how I just want to do everything for my kids. I want to make life easier. I want to protect them. I know good and well, that's not a good thing. I've got to let them get out, skin their knees up, pick them back up, put them back in within limits, right? And so it's so cool because I think the reason they can do what they can do is because you know mm -hmm. they can do it. And they because of that, and then it and then right. there you go. And because parents would not have had the courage to say, I'm going to trust in my kids mm -hmm. to do this. So I'll go give what I have right. to others yeah. in teaching. Having both of the boys gives me that amount of patience to look at things at a different perspective 
And where last year I had five GT kids this year, I don't have any GT kids and that's okay because for me as a teacher, just to look at their different qualities, I mean, one can't read at all, but she is very artistic, you know, just those little quirky things about them. But I think I'm able to see that because of my kids. We held a parent meeting when Joran was in the second grade because for some reason they put Joran and another autistic boy in the same classroom and they kind of fed off of each other. And so it made for a very hard year and the parents did not understand. So we held a parent meeting and I talked for a while and the other parents talked for a while. And then the parents that were concerned were able to bring those concerns to us and ask me because they wanted to understand better about what it is. They didn't know really what it was either. I don't know. I'm very thankful. I know it's been a hard road, but I'm very thankful for the road that we've been on with our kids because I don't know. I just don't know life any different for us. It's just life. It doesn't really get hard unless you have to fill out paperwork for me, which is a strange thing because we're trying to get my youngest one on SSI so he can have some insurance. So with that comes two hour psychological evaluations, paperwork, and I can live life every single day and not even think about it because this is just life. But when I have to put it on paper and, you know, it really hits me in the face what they can and can't do. That's when I break down and get emotional. I mean, I've pushed past emotions a long time ago. I mean, but when I have to write it on paper, it's really hard. I can understand that. I guess it's part of that, their reality, but also just a difficulty part of that reality. It and, really is. And, it, and then the expectations of... Well, what any parent has, yeah, you know, they right. have all these dreams and aspirations for their kids. And then when you have to fill out that paperwork, it's just like, okay, I know that's not going to happen, but here it is. They can't do this. They can't do that. You know, it, it becomes very emotional for me. Yeah, I can understand that because I've worked with parents um, when we look in the transition process Mm-hmm. And then looking at it from the standpoint of, okay, what skills do they have as well as which skills they, they right. don't have. And, you know, I mean, yeah, they're okay here for a couple of hours because this is their space and this has been designed for them to be successful. But living life outside of the, these walls of our home, not going to happen. Not independently. Right. What, you know, what will their life look like when we think about 10 years from now? Right. And yeah, that's tough. Yeah. And it is tough. Yeah, it's tough. It is tough. I I know that. I mean, like I said, I've worked with a lot of parents and and these are tough conversations. Well, and they start asking, like, they started asking me in sixth grade, like, what do you plan (laughs) for him when he gets out of high school? I don't know what's going to happen next week. I have no idea. All I could tell them was that I would never put them in a home. Right. Um, and so then they would say, well, what would you do if something happened to you? I don't know. I, I don't have the answer yet. I have my husband. I have my sister, my in-laws. I mean, I have people that I know I trust with my kids. 
and that will be just as tough on my kids as I am on my kids, but will love them not as much as me, but they will still love them as a family loves their kids. Yeah, right. Nobody will ever love them like their mama, you know, nope. I, and I think it's a, it's a little boy and nope. a mama thing too, because I have three daughters and they are daddy's girls and one little boy. And I'll tell you what, him and mama are tight as thieves and yeah. I'm in between it, them. I'm telling definitely you, yeah. A mama. Mama, yeah. I don't care. I always said, I don't care if they're always mama's boys. That's fine <laughs> with me. It's like, <laughs> especially after the autism diagnosis. And then another thing that I did, I mean, I knew they had tics, but I didn't really associate that as Tourette's. And as we went through the process of trying to get Jaden on SSI, which has been, next year will be a year. We're still trying. One of the diagnoses was Tourette's. And I said, well, I didn't even really know he had Tourette's all these years. I didn't know. And she said, well, that's what the tics are. And you know, a lot of people associate Tourette's with saying bad words or right. blurting out, or I don't know why I didn't associate that with Tourette's, but nonetheless, that's one of his diagnoses. Yeah. I was just going to say, even with that diagnosis, you're not knowing it, he's autistic. And so what, what else? <laughs> and his life. Yes. And, and the thing of that is, does knowing these things change who he is? No. And that's, <laughs> that's the whole thing about labels yes labels are important and acknowledging the disabilities is important Uh but it we don't lose the person right the disability is not more important than what the person the person themselves and that's that's and then another thing that was really hard was um going from a general ed inclusion which is what we try to do with elementary kids all the time that's what my boys were. They were included in their classroom and someone would come in and work with them in the classroom. Going from that to middle school, middle school was a, I mean, it was just like a slap in the face. It was really hard. The work got really hard. The help that we had in inclusion wasn't as existent in middle school because they expected him to do more on his own. And so Jordan hit a wall in seventh grade, and then comes the decision, leave him in gen ed with more inclusion, give him some more resource time, or do we go full on life skills? And I'm like, what? <laughs> I didn't know that he was that far um, down the spectrum. And so we did a reevaluation of testing, and he was farther down on the spectrum than even I thought. We thought maybe Asperger's with ADHD, but yeah, he was farther down on the spectrum, not on grade level. Socially, he's probably about still about a nine, nine year old, third grade, fourth grade, maybe we'll get on a topic and that's all he wants to talk about. He just loops the same things over and over. My other one has a little bit more of a knowledge span, but he's very much more immature um than the other one they both have ticks my oldest one has hand movements he does this a lot when he gets excited where it used to be this when he was cute and too and it was adorable and so we've kind of reined that in and gave him different ways to cope with his sensory stuff he really likes napkins he rubs them on his face he rubs his thumb on them my youngest one is 
really into dinosaurs and can tell you the scientific names and what they eat and how many feet they have and, you know, what kind of eggs they lay and just, I mean, whatever you want to know, but can't read probably a third grade level, but he can tell you the names <laughs> and World War One, World War Two. Those are his things. I mean, he knows so much about that stuff. I'm sorry. I kind of talk with my hands. That's how I am. <laughs> We're um, on. That's what I am in class too. <laughs> my kids tell me, Miss McDaniel, you're so silly. No, I try. <laughs> <laughs> it's just amazing to me how different they are. And then of course I worked one-on-one -on -one with an autistic boy. Um, Joran went to class with an autistic boy. They're all just so different. I haven't found two of them that act exactly alike. There, I mean, there's just so many areas of the spectrum and what affects them and what doesn't affect them. And it's crazy to me. You know, that's like, interesting that you, like you mentioned how, like when you said that, that, you know, while he can't do these things, here's what he can do. Mm -hmm. And, and because what, you, what I've found in my career at working with students, you know, I even, I'm, I don't think I'm weird. I don't like the word disability. I know, like Pam said, it's important that kids have services and that their needs uh -huh. are, and that, but you know, I, I just still say, stop dissing my ability, man. I, I have a lot of things in my life that I cannot do. And right. for many years, those things. It's a different ability. Yeah, my lifestyle. And so I like differing abilities, right? And so, yes. but, but now the, it's, it's like, how can we help that individual, that child, each child know, this is where you thrive. This is what you're good at. This is how you might um, become independent with occupation, vocation, things like that. Because for me, it took me till I was about 40 something to figure that out. And I'm just now feel like I'm getting something done, but uh -huh. we were able to help some of these kids at a younger age, these young adults even understand, Hey, your fascination with dinosaurs, you're, you know, you might be able to research topics and who knows, you know what I mean? But right. our system kind of right now isn't designed for the kids that are a little bit of the anomalies outside of the right. And right. more and more, I think that, you know, yes, they all have value. They all can contribute. They all have a gift. Our job right. should help them figure out what that is. I had a student last year that he did not have autis autism, but his parents thought he might. But he, you know, angry outbursts, screaming. He, he was going to our behavior therapist. Every time he got in trouble, they would pull him out. And one day I said, nope you're not going to get pulled out of my class anymore. I know that you don't want to do the work. So here's what we're going to do. And so we made a calming spot. We put a beach towel, we put some pillows, a few stuffies in there. Um, and so when he would start, I would tell him, you have two choices. You can either go to the calming spot or you can go to Ms. Dossie's room, which is our behavior specialist. And, you know, at first he chose Dossie's because he he wanted out but then as the year progressed he started picking the calming spot and we would only be there for two minutes and he was done no crying no screaming and we were back at work and I just think working with my own kids I'm just like nope here we go we're gonna just suck it up oh this is what we're gonna do and he he did fine for me the rest of the year and I, I don't know. I just think my boys have been a blessing to me. So I am able to help other kids now 
being a teacher and being in first grade, you know, catch those things a little bit early and maybe make some changes before the behavior gets way out there. Not that I'm anything special, but just to be able to recognize it. Yeah. And it's very humbling to even be asked to do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're glad you were willing to come on and share with us. Um, Connie called me and she said, I volunteered you for something. And I'm like, uh, okay. Because it had been a while since I've talked to her because my boys have both graduated. And I'm like, okay. And that I think it's time that you tell your story. And she started talking to me. Then she started crying. And I'm like, don't do that because now I'm going to start crying yes. <laughs> because she knows that. I mean, they would just have boxes of tissue there. They knew I was going to cry at some point during the art meeting. Yeah. <laughs> so. well, she's, yeah, she's really proud of you and really Aww. was excited. Want, want us to hear your story. Well, uh, thank y'all very much. And one thing I like uh, about the student you were sharing with in the common spot is that sometimes as adult, we forget that, we have coping skills mm -hmm. and, and we utilize our coping skills. If we're in a situation where, you know, we're upset, you know, about something, we're able to walk away. We're able to, you know, find some things to calm ourselves down. But sometimes we forget, you know, little people are, you know, have the same range of emotion as adults have. Right. It's not on the adult level. And so they right. need, they need, you know, the, the time, they need time out. Like we, as adults, we need time out. We need, you know, sometimes. Yeah, he know, just needed stop. a minute. That's all exactly. he needed. He didn't need to be leaving the room. He was fine. Right. And but so. you, but you, you saw that, and that's some things that, unfortunately, some teachers don't see it, you know, mm -hmm. and don't realize that, you know, every every person, be it small or large, adults, you know have a range of emotions and just right. sitting there and make, you know, make someone sit there when they're frustrated or they need to, you know, some time to gather themselves. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not good. And, uh, you know, we have to acknowledge their emotions and their abilities, you know, you know to, to deal with whatever the situation is. You know? Right. I had yeah. A, and I just attribute that to my kids again. I mean, right. just being able to understand my kids because it trust me it was not easy I mean there was two of them against me <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I you know you had to play, you had to play zone defense yeah <laughs> yes. you had to always. go zone you were like playing left and right yes. yeah yes <laughs> always and my husband and I you know once they got their official diagnosis we went first only time we've ever left them um was we went to a four-day autism conference um, when they first got diagnosed and we split up, we tried to get as much information as we could in the different sessions. And my husband walked out of one and said, you know what? I am on the spectrum and I always have been. And so he said that when he was younger, he would make noises and his brothers would tease him unmercifully. And so he couldn't not make them. He had to make them. And so he said he would always go in his closet and make all his noises and then come out and try not to. And so he said, he said, it was just, I couldn't just not do it. I had to do it. So that was his, you know, back when we were kids, 
it, it was either Ritalin or nothing because it wasn't diagnosed. And so he, looking back, he said, I, he said, I know that I'm, I'm probably still on the spectrum. Like, I don't know that it ever goes away, but, um, he also takes medication. My boys take medication. Um, they used to take a lot of medication, but as they've gotten older, we've been able to, you know, tone that down some, which is a blessing because they, I mean, just to get through a normal day, it was heartbreaking the amount of medicine they would take. Yeah, that's a difficult thing having to give your kids medicines that it really is. I mean, strong, about. hard medicine. Yeah. You know, I think about too, like, you know, myself on medication with my thyroid and with my cholesterol and with my anxiety and with all the things that I need medicines for. And as difficult as it is, you know, I know that our brains are all unique, but there's not a typical average brain. And and I think too, like the, the world, the, the, the society, the buildings, those are what's are handicapping. Mm -hmm. Not, not, you know, we're just made right. what we're made. It's just that the system is made for this, this, this normative reference that doesn't right. really exist. So I just feel like the things you've done, you said earlier that I haven't done anything that special. I it's just consistency. It's insight. It is empathy and it's love. All those things that just are basic fundamental needs that we have, you've just filled those needs in your own boys' lives. And then taking that and upon yourself, you said earlier, humble humility, and then going out and not just to say, look, I've done my part, but now let me give mm -hmm. that to others. I love it. I, mean, I wouldn't do anything else. Yeah. Yeah. We're just blessed to have teachers like yourself in the field that put others, put the kids needs before oh, their you. own and follow that instinct and that, that love for kids. So I just thank you for well, I'm you. tough on them. They know I'm tough on them, but they know that I love them. And I, I only push them to be, I always tell them, I only push you to make sure you're ready for next year. And so I always tell them they can't do more than their best. So the best is all I expect of them. So, but they know, they know I'm going to be tough and I'm going to love them all. I don't have a, I don't have a switch that says don't love this one. Well, Nikki, thank you. I think we're going to wrap this up. Okay, thank, thank y'all very much. It was a pleasure. I mean, I, this was such a an important episode yeah. because I think from the parent perspective, the struggles that you go through, what it takes to make sure that your children, regardless of their ability, have what they need. But then also from that educator perspective, that informed perspective that, that, that loves every kid like her own, but and, and believes in those high expectations. So Definitely. I just feel like... Yeah. This is so important, and you're more important in the in the lives of so many people than you even realize. So thank you for everything you do. Thank you very much. Um, we celebrate you today. Thank you. And thank you for sharing and being so open with us. John, tell everyone how they can continue to elevate the conversation about special education in Texas. You got it, Pam. They can find us on Twitter. Facebook, and Instagram at SpedTalk2020. Because in these disconnected times, connecting with others has never been so important. Now more than ever, it takes courage to create culture and kindness to keep us connected. If you enjoyed this episode of SpedTalk, be sure to share it with a friend because information should always flow through us, not to us. We couldn't do this without you, our listeners, and we need your help sharing the amazing transformation occurring in special education. 
Together, we can change the trajectory of learning opportunities in Texas for students with disabilities. If you have ideas, information, or resources that you think we should share on an upcoming episode of SPED Talk, let us know at SPED Talk 2020 on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And be sure to like our page while you're there. Oh yeah, and if you get a chance, please consider giving us a positive review on the podcast platform that you listen to SPED Talk. Living in the moment and the moment is the future.